the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight every crooked path. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we discussed the blessings of the crucified life. We spoke of the crucified life as the life of the believer in Christ, based on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Now, since Christ died, the believer also died. And having done that, it means that when we, when, we, when, we, when we make our confessions unto the Lord, that he is Lord and Savior, then we also died. That action which the Lord Jesus Christ had taken on the cross at Calvary becomes effective in our lives. And so we enter into a crucified life. Now, we then spoke about the blessing of the, the blessings of living the crucified life. And we said they are one. There will be no more intentional sin because you can no longer sin intentionally since the seed of God remains in us and God cannot sin. Therefore, all those in whom the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ remains cannot sin. Secondly, we said that it is impossible to begin to say, oh, I can't, I'm not hearing from God anymore. There's nothing like that anymore because the, the flesh, which was the, a, a noise barrier as it were, has... Uh, been removed and so it is easy to hear from God. Thirdly, there are no more struggles to obey God because again it is the flesh that made it impossible for us to obey God. Now that the flesh has been taken out of the way, it becomes a lot easier to obey God. Fourthly, we said there's no more struggling uh, with studying and interacting with the Word of God because it is it becomes a delight to study the Word of God, it becomes a delight to want to hear from God. Um, fifthly, we spoke about no more struggling to bear fruit. Fruit bearing becomes very easy. Why? Because the flesh has been removed and we are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, the life of God is produced within us by the Spirit of God with ease because the conflicts that would have arisen as a result of the flesh have been eliminated since the flesh has ceased to exist. Number six, we said, there will be no more struggling to live for God. We live for God with so much joy because that is our delight now, to please Him, to live for Him, to do His will, to do the things that He de desires. Seventhly, we said that there will be no more frustrations with falling into temptation because the root, the, 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 the what, what temptation attracts within within man has been removed which is the flesh as long as the flesh is there temptation will attract the flesh and sin will be born and then sin will lead to eternal death but if you take away the flesh from the equation temptation can no longer uh, does not have anything to attract because temptation cannot lure god into into sin and because now in the in the in the absence of the flesh, we now have the Spirit of God uh, working within us. Temptation cannot attract, cannot draw the Spirit of God to it. And so we continue to live a life where when temptation comes, it is defeated. And finally, we spoke, we said that all things will truly be new. Because the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have, uh, uh, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so all things become new to the fellow who is living the crucified life. The crucified life thus enables the believer to have uninterrupted fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Father through the Holy Spirit. That much the Bible makes it makes clear to us. We saw that we, we spoke about the example of Enoch who walked with God for 300 years uninterrupted fellowship with God. And God took him away because the Bible says that he was nowhere to be found on the earth. God had taken him away. Everyone that would spend time with God in eternity would have to walk with God in uninterrupted fellowship here on the earth. That fellowship was broken when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And when God came to have fellowship as usual, he, he, it became clear that they had, they had broken his commandment. They had um, rebelled against his word and had eating of the, uh, the, the fruit of the tree of which he said they should not eat. And so fellowship was broken. But once uh, we confess Christ, fellowship is restored. 
And once that fellowship is restored, we can now continue with that. Hopefully, we would not uh, 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 make the crucified life of non-effect. Now, we also said that the crucified life is but a step to a more profound life, the sanctified life. And this is where we are going to take off in our broadcast today. We want to begin to discuss that theme which we mentioned in the last broadcast, sanctification. Now, when you make confession of the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as a result of your conviction that this is true indeed, based on the gospel message that has been preached to you, when you make that confession, the power of the gospel comes into your life and takes effect. Thus, the flesh dies at that point in time. Christ died 2,000 years ago. We were in Christ 2,000 years ago when he died. But we were not able to appropriate what he did for us on the cross until we were convicted of sin, convinced of it, and made the confession. The moment we made that confession, the power of the gospel came into effect and the flesh died. However, if nothing more is done after the flesh has died and we enter into the crucified life, it can very easily become the backsliding life. A man who we would say, this man is now living a crucified life. If nothing more is done, that man would enter into what we call the backsliding life. And so we find somebody who says he's been born again, but we see the lifestyle he's living and he is backsliding. He's gone back to where he was before. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through to verse 45. Matthew 12, 43 to 45. The Bible says, or the Lord Jesus was the one speaking, he said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest, and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and the error and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be, so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Lord Jesus is using the illustration of a man in whom was an evil spirit, and it was cast out. And when it was cast out, the man's life was now clean. But the bottom the problem here is that it was empty kept clean. Nothing else had happened. So what he now says is that the, the evil spirit that was cast out, who goes around looking for a place to rest, finding none, says, okay, let me even go back to where I was kicked out from and discovers that oh, the place is garnished, the place is empty, the place is clean. And then he now goes and takes seven more spirits, more, seven spirits more wicked than himself. They re-enter that man. So if, if you're even going to cast the first spirit out, you still have seven in there, and this spirit can always return there. So you find a man who does nothing with his life, that when his life is that empty, he backslides because the demon that was cast out would be able to re-enter. So the crucified life is not the kind of life that you say, oh, I'm, I'm okay now. No, it is the kind of life that is a step to a, a, a more profound lifestyle which is what we said is a sanctified life. So that when somebody has been born again, it is imperative that he must be filled with the teachings of the word of God. He must be filled with doctrines of the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, something worse will happen to him. And the Bible says, then we will say of such a man that his, his latter end, his latter state, was worse than his beginning. It would have been better for him to have been left in that state without salvation in the first place than for him to be saved and nothing else happened in his life and then he is, is thrown away. Now, this is a very crucial uh, part of the life of a Christian and indeed a very crucial aspect of the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ does not begin, does not begin just with being born again and end there. No. After a person has been born again, that person needs to grow beyond just I'm born again. He needs to learn the new life that he's coming into. He needs to live that new life and he needs to operate in that way. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible tells us about how God called Abraham. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. God, the Bible says, the Lord had, we are going to come to that shortly, that the Lord had told him certain things when he was in his country, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And he was told to get out of his country, to get away from his family, to get away from his uh, father's house, and get to a land that God himself would show him. Now, if we look at this uh, uh, command of God, we will put them in proper perspective using four S words, four words beginning with the letter S. The first one, get out of your country, is salvation, being born again. The second one, get away from your father's house, is sanctification. The th uh, the th uh, get away from your family, is sanctification. The third one, get out of your father's house, is a, if a deeper form of sanctification, what we call a separation or consecration. And finally, to a land that I will show you, service. So we discover that it is not enough to leave your country. You must necessarily leave your family and your father's house before you can be able to serve God acceptably. Now, all of this is speaking about deeper levels of consecration in God to the point where you are detached from the world, detached from family ties and, uh, sorry, the world, cultural ties and worldly lifestyles. And then you are detached again in a, in a deeper sense from the mundane things of the world and attached, as it were, unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, you are able to now begin to get into divine service, which is something that we don't dream of, but something that we fit into as God has a place for us in his, in his work, in his, in his global work. Each, each believer has a spot to fill where he is going to serve God in an acceptable manner. Any other thing that he does will not be acceptable to God. So it is God who fits him where he is supposed to be. Now, when we look at the, the, the story of Abraham, the, 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 the original intent of God was for him to get to Canaan. But something happened along the way. Before That's why he said, now the Lord had said. So let's read a little bit of that as we go backwards in Genesis 11. Reading from verse, um, from verse 27. Let, let, let me take it from verse, um, let me take it from verse 26. Genesis 11 from verse 26. It says, Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, two things are important here. One, Terah was the father of Abram. Secondly, the order of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, that's not the order of their birth. It just shows the order of Maybe the importance, uh, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was actually the firstborn, and we're going to see that. But he died in his country, in Ur of the Chaldeans. It was after his death that they moved out. But let's, let's just read. Let me not jump, in, uh, jump on ahead of myself. And the Bible then says in verse 27, This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, 
the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from the Ur, from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Note that, to go to the land of Canaan. The object was to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. They got midway and they stopped. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Then we get to chapter 12. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Let me continue to read up to verse 4. There about says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Verse 5. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. The original object, God's original intent, was for Abram to leave all of the Chaldeans and settle in Canaan, where God had promised all that he wanted for him to be in Canaan. But I believe that at that time, the influence of the, 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 the father was strong. And so for Abram to move, uh, uh, Terah had to move. And so Terah was moved, as it were, with, along with Abraham, then they got to Haran, and for some reason Terah might have, might have enjoyed Haran, or might have liked it, because you notice that that settlement has the name of the first, the, 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 the son of Terah who had died as Haran. So it's possible that Har, uh, Terah got to this place and named the place Haran. And he loved it, he liked it, maybe for sentimental reasons, and he stayed there. And so Abraham could not even accomplish the original intent of God for as long as they remained in Haran. And so it was necessary for Abraham to move. For Abraham to move, Terah had to die. Otherwise, Abraham would never have been able to move. So it was the death of Terah that now, we now get to points where it says, now the Lord had said. What does all this have to do with what we are discussing? Without the flesh dying, your salvation is going to be truncated. Without the flesh dying, you cannot even take the next step of departing out of your family, to, of, of leaving behind your family. You cannot to talk of leaving behind your father's house, the identity of your father's house. Until some of these things are removed, we will not be able to make progress in our spiritual work. For example, when God called Gideon, we're not going to read that, in Judges chapter 6, and Gideon spoke about his family and everything. And God said, don't worry, you will go in this your might. You're a mighty man of valor and you'll be victorious. The first assignment God gave to, to Gideon was to get rid of the gods, the idols of his father's house. He had to deal with that even before we're talking of God giving him the mission that he had to engage in. It's the same thing here. Before Abraham could get into this land of Canaan, where God had promised him so many things would happen, he had to leave all the Chaldeans, had to get away from Haran, had to get away from the identity of his father's house, or of, of his father, the, the identity of, of the house of his father, so that he could now serve God acceptably. So until the flesh dies, we continue to go back and forth, trying to please God in our own strength, and we always fail. And we get frustrated because sometimes we desire that I want to do it this way. You know that this is the right thing to do. But then you encounter this challenge because the flesh is still rearing its head. The flesh has not been subdued or, or, or crucified as it ought to. What will crucify the flesh is the spirit of God by the word of God. So unless we move from being born again, from that mere expression of I am born again, I am born again, I am born again, to being sanctified, we would never really be able to get to Canaan. We would never really be able to get to eternity. We would never really be able to get to eternal life. We will never really be able to serve God acceptably. So the crucified life is a first step 
to a journey which must now start with the um, sanctified life. In Hebrews chapter, chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, reading from verse 12, Hebrews chapter 5, reading from verse 12, the Bible tells us as follows. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What the Bible is telling us here is that there as you as you as you be, when you after you become born again, you ought to be growing. You ought to develop from just that that being a babe. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you 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 came into a new life. You have been you are supposed to have been taught some things in that new life, and now you should yourself be teaching others, haven't grown, haven't developed. But we find that such a person, instead of being a teacher, still needs to be taught. And we're not talking of being taught advanced things. He still needs to be taught the rudiments of the Christian life. Why? He has not matured. He has not grown. He's still a babe. In 1 first, in first Corinthians chapter 3, the, the Bible, I think verse 1 to 5 or so, the Bible talks about carnality in the Corinthians. He says, you are still babes. Let, let me just read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, while holding on to... Uh, Hebrews, because we're coming back to Hebrews still. First Corinthians chapter 3. I just read from verse 1 and maybe verse 1 and 2 or so. It says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So, the man who ought to have grown from being the from the crucified life to the sanctified life, indeed to the life that God wants for him, the life of service in Christ, is not able to move. Why? He is still a babe. He is still acting like the natural man. He is still acting like the man of the flesh. If you, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, backwards from chapter 3, and we read uh, verse 14, the Bible talks about the natural, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The, the carnal man, the carnal man or the carnal mind, or the carnal life, is that life that ought that ought to have progressed from the crucified life to the sanctified life, but did nothing like the man out of whom the demon was chased out that we read about in Matthew chapter 12, whose, whose, whose life was just empty, not filled. And so you had him, you had the, the demon being able to re-enter. And so you have the, the, the flesh that had died rising up again and re, re, coming up and taking possession, as it were, of that man, and that man begins to live the fleshly, worldly life. But when he has grown, when he has matured, he is able to discern the word of God. He is able to differentiate between good and what is not good, between what God wants and what God does not want. You don't find him asking some very strange questions, like what is wrong with what I'm putting on, when it is obvious that what you are putting on, even as clothing, does not glorify God. It is the carnal mind that makes such questions, the stateful questions about what is wrong with dating. There's something, everything is wrong with dating. It is not for a believer. But when that believer has not grown beyond just, I am born again, that is when those kind of questions arise. That is when you find false prophets, of false teachers, able to con you into marriage seminars or, 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 or single seminars where all they speak about are the things of the flesh, the things that would 
make men attractive to you or the things that will make women attractive to you and try and coerce these people through some strange form of indoctrination into accepting one another rather than what would have been the proper thing which is to seek the face of God for who to get married to. And so we see a lot of carnality in the church today because people have not made any progress. They have stuck on, I am born again. I am born again. And that's all that matters. And they fail to realize that there is a difference between when the Spirit of God comes within and when the Spirit comes upon. The Lord just made that assertion, I think, in John chapter 14, about the Spirit of God being with them, but that He was going to come within them. The Spirit of God can be with you, that is, around you. But what God, the real intent of God is for the Spirit of God to come within you. When He comes within you, He comes to make changes in your life. He comes to change your nature. He comes to change your character. He comes to take hold of that flesh, that space that has been has become a vacuum as a result of the flesh dying and then fills it with the life of God. But in the absence of the action of the Spirit of God within, the vacuum remains and we have the flesh returning. And seeing the vacancy there, he now comes and fills it with worse things. So that even if we were to cast out the first problem that you had, other ones are still there to, re, to bring it back. And so you see this fellow going like a yo-yo from one problem to the other. In chapter 6 of Hebrews, we're back to Hebrews now. In chapter 6 of Hebrews verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. These the Bible term as the rudimentaries of the Christian faith. Indeed, what he's saying is that after you are born again, you need to be taught these things. What is repentance from dead works? It is a turn away. We're not talking of repentance from sin here. You have repented of sin. Now we're talking of repentance from dead works. Doing things that do not have the life of God, that do not manifest the life of God. The things that are not initiated by God. Dead works is anything, any activity that you're engaging on, engaging in rather, that lacks the life of God, that lacks the initiation of God, that lacks the power of God, that lacks the presence of God. Indeed, if you are serving God, it is God who comes within you to will and to do of his good pleasure for that service. So that basically what happens is this. If you are going to serve God, God will come into you and will be working within you and will do his work through you. You are not the one doing that work. It is God who is willing and doing of his good pleasure. You are but a vessel housing God. And if you are going to house God, you must be clean. And then it talks of faith toward God. Where your faith, your trust is in God. Not in your strength, not in your degree, not in your capacities or your capabilities, but in God. And then there are other doctrines, the doctrine of baptisms, and so on and so forth. Perhaps in the course of all this, at some point in time, we'll have opportunity to revisit uh, Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 and 2. And speak more uh, intently on the... Uh, for, for the, the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. But for now, suffice it to know that unless you have grown through teachings of this foundational doctrine, you will find yourself slipping back to the old man, slipping back to the old nature, so that the essence of church, the essence of the, the, the real essence of our gathering, I'm not talking of a building now, I'm talking of the people who have been born again, gathered in this building that we call church, or gathered in a location which we would call church. These gathered people must be taught the word of God. Without their being taught the word of God, whatever salvation they claim to have would soon be eroded. In John chapter 8, John chapter 8, from verse 31 to verse 32, John 8, 31, 32. The Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ had, had made some declarations and some Jews around had believed on him that indeed he is the son of God. Indeed, he's the savior of the world. In verse 31, the Bible says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. 
He says, if you abide or if you, if you dwell, if you live inside my word, the, the, um, the, the uh, old King James says, if you continue in my word, if you keep on doing what the word of God asks us to do, he says, then are you my disciples indeed. The, 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 the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ is not to have converts, but to have disciples. It's not just to have members in a church, but to have disciples. Indeed, the word that we use today as Christian, they were first disciples. It was at Antioch that these disciples were called Christian. And they were called Christian because they mirrored the life of Christ. Christian means Christianus or to be like Christ. So they mirrored the life of Christ. They lived like Christ. And so they were called Christians. And the Lord says, for you to be thus a Christian, you must dwell, you must abide in his word. You must be taught his word. You must be living according to the word of God continually. And as a result, you will know the truth. And the truth itself will make you free. You cannot free yourself. So it is the word of God that you know, that sets you free, that makes you free, that frees you, that releases you from the claws of the flesh. So that as long as the word of God is being pumped into you and you are living the word of God, you will be freed from the stranglehold of the flesh. The crucified life must therefore graduate from just a mere existence as a crucified life to one where the word of God has taken effect and the power that is in the word is is becoming effectual. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, the Lord Jesus, in praying for his disciples, spoke to the Father and said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Now we are entering into what sanctification is proper. He said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Sanctification takes place by the word. So when he said to the Jews who believed that unless you abide in my word, you cannot be my disciples. What he's saying is, unless you are sanctified through the word, you are not a disciple. So the crucified life is but a stepping stone to the sanctified life. It is at the level of the sanctified life that you are now filled with the word of God. And in being filled with the word of God, you now have a new basis, a new foundation for living the life that you are supposed to live. Not the old foundation. Now, I will explain this as I read Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 reads, it says, And be not conformed, and, sorry, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There are two forms here. Conform with form. Transform, change form. So he's saying, don't have the same form as the world. And one translation says, don't be molded in the, don't, 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 don't be squeezed into the mold of the world. But be changed in your form by the renewing of your mind or the, by the changing. The word renewing there is a change which would be it's the same word as a repentance, to change, to change your mind, so that you are able to prove, you're able to ascertain experimentally, ascertain experientially, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. This is through teachings. So if you are not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed, then your mind must be renewed. Your mind must be changed. Repentance is described in some uh, context as the change of mind, the change of lifestyle, the change of the way we do things. Now, when we were born by our parents, we had a particular way of living. We lived, one, as our parents wanted us to live, we, our, our, our parents uh, told us certain things on how to live. That's why, you remember, we spoke about Abraham saying, where God saying to Abraham, get away from your country, get away from your family, away from your father's house. So there was parental influence telling you, in our family, this is how we do things. Then you have the influence of education. In school, the, the, the teachers taught you certain things. 
Then you had friends who influenced you with certain other things. They came, maybe what their own parents had taught them also, they, they imposed on you. Then you had society telling you how to live your life. All of these things were crammed into your mind. So in your mind, you already have a pattern of behavior. You have been squeezed into a pattern of behavior through parental influence, educational influence, the influence of friends, the influence of society, the influence of people that you have met over the years, interacted, the influence of your own personal experience in this world. You bring all of that together, it forms, it is formed inside your mind. And that has been the pattern of your life. But when you have become born again, now you say, I'm born again. The, that, all of that is still in your mind. It has to be flushed out. And a new way of thinking, a new way of living, fused into you. It is this new way that the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is what sanctification is. It is the process of renewing the mind through the word of God. How do I renew the mind? Put the word of God in there. The word of God flushes out what your parents told you culturally. This is who we are. Which is contrary to the word of God, it flushes it out. Anything that is contrary to the word of God, and that basically is everything. If your parents were not uh, uh, born again, were not living like as, as God would want them to live, every counsel they gave you may have helped you in the world when you are not born again. But now that you are born again, you must pack aside what they told you and you must now take on the word of God. The word of God now becomes your compass, becomes your map, becomes your constitution, becomes your everything. What they taught you in school must be packed aside and the word must be there. In school, they probably taught you evolution. They probably taught you how many uh, millions of years that we've had dinosaurs on the earth and we had planktons and we had all kinds of things. But when you become born again the, you, and you go to the word of God, you will read that God made the world in six literal days and that on the seventh day he rested. You must believe that. Faith towards God, you must believe it. That is what now begins to renew your mind. You begin to change your mind by the word of God. The word of God is not just there as a book that we read because we want to read it or because we now have a problem and want to quickly solve that problem. No, the, the word of God is, as documented in the Bible, is for us to, to infuse into our lives so that we can now change the way we have been thinking, change the way we have been living to the way that God wants us to live as documented in the written word of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse, from verse 17. The Bible says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind. No longer walk the way they are walking. Why? How, how do they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. They, whatever they had in their minds, parental influence, like I said earlier, uh, educational influence, influence of friends, societal influence, interactive uh, influence of their own experiences, and so on and so forth. Even those who are married, what they've experienced in their in their marriages, especially those who are married, been married more than once before they got born again. All those things culminate into their formation of how to treat a woman or how to treat a man, as the case may be, or how to handle in-laws and so on. Those are experiential things. They all come, but that is how and they are, whatever they are doing is futile. So they operate in the futility of their minds. You can no longer walk that way. Because that's how they live their lives. In verse 18 it says, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, they, the life of God is not in them. The influence of the Spirit of God is not in their lives. The Spirit of God does not influence them in any way, shape or form. They have their own way of living and it has, it is absent, God is absent in that. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. Their hearts are not open, their hearts have not been opened. They cannot see the word of God. They cannot see the light of God. They, their hearts have not been illuminated by the word of God. They are still living in darkness. He says, don't walk like them. When you are following them, you are following somebody who is walking in darkness. How can light be following darkness? How can a Christian want to live his life following only 
uh, following the, 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 the words of an unbeliever. In verse 19 it says, Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. They, 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 are, they are a sensual group of people. Their dressing is sensual. Their, their communication is sensual. Their mannerism is sensual. There is lewdness in everything. And it leads to uncleanness. Uncleanness, masturbation, homosexuality, uh, lesbianism, uh, incest, uh, bestiality. Uh, think of all the unclean sexual things. Even in a marriage, introducing pornography into one's marriage. All those things, sensual, along with greed, covetousness, which the Bible calls idolatry. He says in verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. We have not, you did not learn when you became born again. What did you learn about Christ? What were you taught about Christ? What were you taught about the way he lived? Because we are supposed to mirror, mimic, if you want to use that expression, the life of Christ. The only difference between our mimicking is that we are not just looking at him and copying him. We are, we are taught on the one hand and then empowered to live like him by the spirit of God. So we have the agency of the word and the spirit helping us to live this lifestyle, this sanctified life. In verse 21, he says, if indeed you have heard him, if indeed he has spoken to you by his word and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You are not going to free yourself. The truth that the Lord Jesus is, he himself is truth, and that he is teaching you, will free you. It says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. The old man can never be clean. The old man continues to deteriorate. Its corruption level is in increasing dimensions. There is nothing you are going to do about the corruption in the mind of a man who is, who is just born again but not sanctified. That corruption continues to grow worse and worse and worse and worse. He can sleep with a, with a woman, married or unmarried, and still tell you that, look, there's nothing wrong with it. God has not, God, all those things you're talking about, God does not say anything, say anything wrong with that. And then he will point fingers at people like David and Solomon and tell you about the number of wives they had and try and justify it. That man, is, he, he may claim to be born again. The reality is that he is not. By the definition of that word, he's not born again because he has not changed his lifestyle. You cannot be born again and still be living in the conduct of the old man. So here, the, 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 the emphasis is on the putting off of the former conduct of the old man that is growing, steadily deteriorating when it comes to corruption in the, of the mind. It's, it grows worse and worse and worse and worse. Just look at the world that we live in today. Evil is in increasing dimension. And you, you will be amazed at how horrible certain things are becoming now. A time is even coming right now. Some people don't even regard anything as a horror anymore. It seems to be a normal thing. But when your, when your spirit is still sensitive to the spirit of God, those things are very horrifying things to look at or to even, to even talk about. In verse 23, the Bible says, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That word renew again is there. We're talking about to change, to take what was there, take it out and bring something new in. It's not to renovate. It is actually a radical change. That is why you can see somebody who used to be a drunk. When this takes place in his life, he is, it, is radically, it is radically transformed. And you can you say that something has happened to this guy. Something definitely. The, what he loved before, he no longer loves. He has moved on to a new lifestyle. That's what the Bible is, is, is emphasizing here. That the, 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 to be renewed in the spirit of, his, of your mind. In verse 24 it says, And that you put on. This renewal allows you to now manifest the new man. You put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. This is it. This is that new man. If the new man comes about because 
of the word of God that comes in to flush out what was there before and to infuse in a new man. That new man can now begin to live for God. And the Bible now tells us, going back to Romans chapter 12 verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, or so that, you may prove, you may ascertain, you can be sure of what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My brother and my sister, you cannot prove, you cannot be assured, you cannot be ascertained experimentally if something is the will of God as long as your mind is not yet renewed. If you still have the old mind of what your parents taught you, of what school taught you, of what your friends have, have impacted you with, of what society has put in there, of your own personal experience, you will never know the will of God. If you want to know, you want to be assured of the will of God, you need to have the word of God inside of you. And that is where the spirit of God comes to infuse the word of God in us so that we can now begin to live the new life based on a new constitution, based on a new set of principles, a new set of rules, if you permit. And this, this set of rules, this constitution and so on and so forth, is the word of God. And as we live according to the word of God, the Bible says the word of God itself will now come and free us from the cultural taboos that held us bound. Oh, if you are from this ethnic group, you must marry from that ethnic group. It breaks it. It is only in Christ that you can find some strange, what the world will call strange intermarriages. You see communities that have been at war for years, for eons, and you find intermarriages. Why? Because of Christ. This is what sanctification does. Now let me spend some time explaining sanctification and then uh, we'll see where we go to and then we'll, we'll continue from there wherever we stop the next time. Now, after you have heard the word of God, the gospel message, and you have taken the decision to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, once you have heard the word say you are a sinner, you need a savior, you cannot help yourself, you have tried and you have failed because of the sin of Adam that is in you and you have also multiplied sin, but if you will turn to Christ today, your life will never be the same again. If you turn to Christ today in confession and conviction in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ will come into your life and change you. Once you accept that and you make the confession and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want you, Lord, to change my life. I don't like this life I'm living. I want to live for you henceforth. I want to live the way you want me to live. The moment you make that confession, certain things begin to happen in your life. Number one, God pronounces you righteous. Not what I'm saying here. He pronounces you, he declares you righteous. But when we look at you, nothing has happened. You are still the same man. But God, on the basis of what you said, which is an act of faith, on the basis of your pronouncement of confessing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, the Father pronounces you righteous. At that instant, the Holy Spirit comes within you comes within you to occupy your mind. Now, when the Lord, when you were making that confession, what you did by that confession was instantly to cut life supply from the flesh. So in an instant, the flesh died. Because now you entered into the reality of what Christ had done 2,000 years ago when he hung on the cross and the flesh was crucified. Now in reality for you, your flesh has been crucified, separated from you. Now the Spirit of God comes in. What is the Spirit of God coming in to do? To make you righteous. So that first step where you made your confession and God pronounces you righteous is what we call salvation. That's the beginning. It's not the end. It's a salvation that is worked through so many layers, so many chambers as it were. It is the beginning. The Bible tells us, let me just read that to us in 2 Thessalonians Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, 
beloved by the Lord. Because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So it's a combination of what we've just said. Your, your salvation is an initial, it's like entering a house. That This first salvation, I'm born again, or I declare I'm righteous, is entering a house. But that house has many rooms. And the house is yours. But you must explore the entire house. That is where the Holy Spirit comes in. He makes you righteous. You have been pronounced righteous, but you are not righteous. Sorry, you, you have been pronounced righteous, but there are certain things still in your life. So the Holy Spirit now comes to make you righteous by removing the old man and putting in the new man through the word of God and by his power, enabling you to now have the new man. And then as a result, you are now able to walk righteously. So you have first a declaration that you are righteous. I'm born again. God says, this man is righteous. In fact, from that moment, we call you a saint. A saint is not somebody who is dead. A saint is somebody who is born again, who is breathing, living for God. That's a saint. Now, you have been made a saint. I'm sorry, you've been pronounced to be a saint. The Lord now, the Holy Spirit now comes to make you a saint. And now that you have been made a saint, he now says, walk, the walk of a saint. So, you walk like a saint and work like a saint. What does all this uh, translate into? It's simple. Let me give you the illustration of a man with a bad leg. A man has a bad leg and you want him to run and to run in a straight line. His bad leg is going to make him to hobble, to be hobbling. So he cannot run straight. If we are going to make that man to run straight and not hobble, we must resolve the bad leg. Either give him prosthetics, do something that will make him to run in a straight line without hobbling and then make speed and is able to now run properly. That is what the Holy Spirit comes to do. And now, after we've given him prosthetics and we've trained him to be able to use it, we can now put him on the, on the, on, 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 in a competition and say, now, run. So that's it. The man has a bad leg. The declaration is, we have to make this leg right. The walking is, get him prosthetics. Put it in there. Train him on how to use it over time. When he becomes perfect, as it were, in its use, then enter him into the competition. And let us, see what he, let us see if anybody will be able to compete with him effectively. And that is what sanctification is about. You are born again, declared righteous. God then says, make him righteous because he's going to begin to live for me righteously. The making of the man righteous is where the word of God comes in. That is where sanctification comes in. So sanctification comes to change you. It comes to put the word of God in and push out all the thoughts you had. For example, one of the things that, that, we, that we probably learned over the years is seeing is believing. But the word of God comes and says, if thou shouldest believe, thou wouldest see. It changes it completely. You must now imbibe that if I believe, I will see. You must push out. If I, if I, if, if I, if, if, unless I see, I will not believe. You must push that out. And you must take in I will believe and then I will see. Or heaven helps those who help themselves. You must flush that thought out because it's not even scriptural. You must now pick what the scripture says that God has come to will and to do of his good pleasure in your life. So you, you must remove all those things that say, oh, you are strong, you are able to do this and so on and so forth. And you must accept that I must acknowledge God as my Lord, as my Savior, as my Master, and that He will do His good pleasure in my life. You must imbibe that as part of your life. Now, until you do that, you will discover that you'll be hobbling, you'll be hobbling, you'll be hobbling. So sanctification is the process whereby the old man is purged out, is pushed out. The new man is infused in there's a purifying of the new man by the word of God. Sanctify them by thy word. Thy word is truth. And in, in infusing the new man, haven't had this new man, you are now preparing that new man to be able to serve God acceptably. We cannot serve God acceptably except by his word. So going back to the analysis of the man with the bad leg, the first thing we want to do is replace the leg, give him prosthetics. 
He's never been able to use, he's never used prosthetics before. He cannot walk the way he used to walk when his leg was still all right. Because now he's using prosthetics. So he must learn to be able to walk using that to the point that after a while, if he puts on long pants, you will never know that he has prosthetics unless he tells you. Because he's now walking normally. Why? Over the years, he has learned how to use it. It's the same thing in sanctification. When the word of God now comes in, as we infuse the word of God into you, you must learn regularly. Learn regularly to live by the word. Learn to understand and appreciate how the word of God works effectively and effectually in a man's life. Over the years, you will be able to use the word of God as it ought to be used effectively and effectually. And then people will look at you and say, when, how did he get these things? How did, because you walked with the Holy Spirit and the word of God and you, you applied your life to the word of God. Let me tell you this. For as long as you are still debating the word of God, for as long as you are still quarreling, the, quarreling with the word of God, for as long as you are still uh, the, 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 trying to theorize on the word of God, you are not going to get anywhere. You can read this Bible, write a PhD thesis on the Bible, and still not be able to live by the word of God. But if you would just surrender yourself to God, be open to his spirit, and allow his spirit to teach you his word, while you are open to his spirit to teach you his word, then you are going to get yourself to the place where you and the spirit of God and the word of God are in sync in, in John chapter 15, I think we read that at some point in time, the Bible makes it clear. The, the Lord Jesus was saying there that if you, let, 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 let me read John 15, and then I think we'll just uh, close shortly after that. In verse 4, John 15 from verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So you have the word of God living in you. You are also living in the word of God. And all of this interaction is taking place. You are having fellowship with the word of God, having fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, having fellowship with the Father, having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In all of this interaction and all of this fellowship, you are living that life that God wants you to live. And so the sanctification is a process where the old man is purged out, the new man is, is, is brought in, so we call that the purification process. And then as this new man is there, he is being prepared to be able to serve God acceptably. And when he's ready, he is now able to serve God acceptably. So we have that, we have a situation in which you are purged of the old nature, you are purified by the Spirit of God, and you are prepared by the Spirit of God for divine service. This, in a nutshell, is what sanctification is about. And so, you move from the crucified life to the sanctified life. By the grace of God, in our next broadcast, we shall take off from there, from where we have stopped now. We are going to now explain sanctification in some depth and see why we have to be sanctified and the things that will help us to remain that way. We just note that without sanctification, what you call salvation will be lost. The doctrine of once saved, forever saved, makes sense only if you are sanctified and you are being sanctified. Later we'll see that sanctification is a continuous process. It does not, it's not a once and for all process. It's continuous. You are continually being sanctified. The moment you stop being sanctified, you will backslide. That is why you cannot afford to live without the word, without the spirit of God, without the Lord Jesus Christ, without the Father. It is a life of continual interaction with the Godhead. My prayer is that now that you have this understanding of sanctification, it is something that you would desire. Because sanctification is actually something that God does for you. And as you desire it, you would seek the face of God and say, Lord, I didn't understand this. Now I know. Please, I'm available. Come and sanctify me. You are nobody can force you to be sanctified. Sanctification is something 
that you must interact with the Spirit of God for it to happen in your life. So as I leave you now, I want you to speak to God and ask Him to come and begin to sanctify you. Let Him know that you are now willing to follow His Word, to abide by His Word, and not by some expression by somebody who does not even know the Word of God who lays claim to teaching the Word of God. When you are ready to be sanctified, you will hear some teachings and you will know that this is a teaching from God. You will hear some teachings and you will know this is not from God. Because whoever you, you yield yourself to hear, to listen, to obey, he is your master. It's either the Lord leading to righteousness or you listen to, to, to sin or the flesh or unrighteousness and that leads to eternal death. And until we meet again, God be with you and goodbye.